Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 45. And today we have a very special friend of the family here at CEM uh, who's going to join us today to talk uh, all things in the power space. Uh, but first, I want to welcome my co-host, Lisa Barber. Lisa, welcome. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. So today we have a very special guest. Uh, he's often known around the office as Florida George. Uh, we have our friend uh, George Taylor uh, from Energy and Industrial joining us. Uh, George, welcome to the show. Morning. Thank you, sir. So you're you're calling in from uh, sunny East Florida, right? Yes, sir. Awesome. Good. good. I, w- I oh, wish I was there instead of uh, this all the snow, George. Almost almost 80 degrees. Tough day. Tough day. Tough day. Yeah, and and uh, unfortunately with COVID and stuff, we haven't uh, seen as much of each other as we've become accustomed to. But it's been uh, a pleasure to get to know you and and call you a friend over the years. And now to have you on the on the podcast is a special treat. So George, maybe for our listeners, uh, talk to us. You know about you've been doing this power gen uh, game for a long time. Talk, walk us through your career because it's certainly not a boring one, and I think the listeners would love to hear in all the different ways that you've you've been involved and been doing projects, and just kind of the floor is yours. Walk us through uh, what you've been doing over the years in this space. Oh well, thank you. Um, try not to be boring. So, <laughs> I've been doing this for over 40 years now. Um, used to work for Cat Tractor and uh, quit them to start my own business uh, back in the late 70s. And um, uh, pretty much done everything that makes electricity. Uh, we started out uh, kind of a strange deal. Uh, we had a call from a cat dealer ask if we were interested in some big generators. And we said, yeah. So we went to Jackson, Mississippi, Procter & Gamble, and uh, they had two big old Fairbanks Morris inline 12 cylinder natural gas units that ran at 277 RPM and weighed about 200 tons a piece. And they needed them removed off the site. So we made a deal and we bought them and pulled them out and ended up reselling them. And that was kind of the start of the power generation side of it. So, um, you know, we've dealt with big slow speed recips over the years, um, Fairbanks, Coopers, Enterprises. Um, you know, we pulled out some enterprises in Utah and built a plant in Cumberland, Wisconsin with them. Um, you know, uh, anything with the research engines, of course, Caterpillar, since we kind of had our teeth into that from the beginning. So we've done a huge number of uh, smaller recips and gas turbines. You know, we got into the gas turbine business and steam turbines, but not near as much as the gas turbines because they're hard to um, put back into service. They're kind of built site specific. But um, yeah, so we've done over the years all over the place. You know, we've been Africa, China, all over Mexico and Canada and North America and as far away as Australia. So it's it's uh, been an interesting ride so far. Wow. And and George, you started your business off, I think it was in 1978 in yep. Colorado, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, but what, what led you to kind of start the business in the first place? What, what kind of got you there? I got tired of working for somebody else. <laughs> 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 That's cut and dry the way it works, you know. So uh, 
I was never good at taking orders. <laughs> you know, even when I was in the service, I didn't get along well with all of that. But, um, you know, I just, uh, you know, somebody told me a long time ago when I was working for Caterpillar, he said, you're way too busy working to make any money. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, go start your own business. And he says, then when you're working, you're making money for yourself, not for somebody else. So um, that's really was the driving force behind it. You know, it was financials. And 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 George, what did you start doing then? Was it was it already starting right into the used equipment removal and redeployment, or was it you know aftermarket service, or what? What did you cut your teeth into first? Uh, first, we started with service. Um, okay. You know, and actually, we first started out um, servicing construction equipment. That's we were rebuilding it on site. We had service trucks mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, then got into the power generation side of it, like I said, with that Procter & Gamble deal, and it kind of went snowballed from there. Then we got rid of the division of doing construction equipment and just, um, excuse me, went after the power generation side. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, uh, you know, it's kept us pretty busy over the years. So. Cool. And then you went from Colorado, George, to Florida. Did your team yeah. follow you? What was the reason for the move? And, and uh, yeah, did you keep your staff, the same staff? Um, some of them, yeah. Um, basically, we were doing projects down here in the southeastern U.S., and it was a long way to travel back and forth to Colorado. And uh, I'd been coming down here three, four, five times a year on vacation, and it was kind of like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Let's just move down there because it's warm. You know, I can ride my motorcycle any day I want to, and I can go fishing any day I want to. So, I mean, you know, it was kind of like, why am I putting up with the cold and the snow? So, (laughs) I do miss the mountains, but pretty much other than that, it's been a good decision to come down here. So, I think this is where we'll cut the podcast and include the uh, advertisement for the Department of Tourism of the state of Florida. So. I have I've had the I've had the pleasure of uh, visiting George in his in his uh, location and and having having lunch uh, as we watch the seagulls fly and the uh, the treasure hunting boats leave the uh, leave the marina and uh, I can attest that it it is it is a good life for sure so uh, George let's talk a little bit about you know the the used equipment business it's something I'm fascinated by it's something that you know we've had the pleasure of doing some you know deals with you and i'm sure there will be more in the future you know, talk to us maybe you know kind of high level and then we'll maybe get a bit more specific but you know you have a lot of new equipment coming into the marketplace you know it comes with a warranty it comes with all the sexy marketing efforts and all that stuff but talk to us about you know used equipment you know the some of the benefits some of the risks uh you know how does how does that market continue to to grow and develop well um Again, it's financially driven, okay? Um, if you're dealing in new equipment, and we have been a dealer for some different brands time to time, um, you're pretty much limited by what your markup's gonna be. I mean, you're up against other new manufacturers, so you're in the three to 5% profit range, if you're lucky, you know, and you still have to satisfy the customer. And yeah, the factory provides the warranty, but it still takes time to do stuff, right? And you're locked into this small profit margin because you're up against all the other manufacturers, right? So um, we decided to kind of get away from that and just deal strictly in, you know, good quality used equipment. 
because there is a much larger profit margin in it, to be honest with you. And it runs across the board. Now that goes with what I said, good quality used equipment, because there's a lot of stuff out there that I won't resell. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's, um, you're kind of limited a little bit by what is available for you to buy and resell from time to time. But it seems like there's always stuff out there that, uh, you know, you can pick up and, and satisfy your customers with. So. And, and from the perspective of the customers, like how, what, what, what is interesting for them? Like what, when you're, when you're working with customers and you're putting a deal together, what are some of the driving factors for them? And then, you know, after that, what are some of the, the questions that maybe you get and the, or the, the reservations they might have? Well, of course, the driving part for them are twofold. First one's financial. It's going to save them quite a bit of money versus buying new, new equipment. And the second one is um, availability. A lot of times they want something and they get a short timeline to have it installed for whatever reason. And they go to order new equipment. They could have a long lead time on getting it delivered to them. Whereas in good quality used equipment, it's available immediately. You know, then, of course, one of the questions we always get posed to us is, well, you know, what about warranty on it? You know, and um, it depends on the equipment, how old it is. Sometimes we can get um, manufacturer's warranty put back on it for an additional cost. Uh, and then there is the availability of aftermarket warranty through different companies that, you know, we can put in there and satisfy it. But. You know, the big drawing factor for the for the client is price and availability. And George, when we're talking about quality of, of used equipment, like I always think about it in the in the you know, when you're when you're referring to like used cars, for example, you have a, a car that has twenty five thousand kilometers, or in your case we'll use miles. You know, <laughs> two two cars, identical model, identical color if you want to say it, but you know, one's been sitting in a driveway for five years and the other one hasn't been. Uh, like, how do you dif differentiate that between, you know, one piece of equipment and another? And how do you do that for the client? Like, are you are you looking at the insides of the engines when you're looking at purchasing these? Or, like, how do you de-risk that purchase? Um, that kind of varies, depends. Uh, the manufacturer of the equipment has a lot to do with it. You know, um, some equipment uh, is higher quality from brand new out of the factory than others are. Um, such as a Detroit versus a Caterpillar, you know, um, hours of operation, what kind of service it's been into. Has it been a base load unit? Has it been used for peak shaving? Strictly a standby. Um, and what their service records on that piece of equipment have been. And then, yeah, I mean, depending on uh, those answers to those questions, we can bore scope the engine. We can do a load bank test on it prior to shipping it to a customer or even before we buy it do a load bank test on it to make sure it's good on both ends, the engine and the electrical. So, yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot of things that fall into that category of good used equipment. So mm. that answers your question. No, that's great. <laughs> Thank you, George. And, and, you know, I would imagine that another kind of risk or peril in buying used equipment, and, and this is a, a, where I've seen you kind of fill in the gap, is knowing the whole scope. Right. Like, you know, it's it's one thing to buy an engine, but, you know, if you don't have all the bells and whistles that go with it, you're, you're left with a bunch of steel. Right. Like there's there's a there's a 
an experience and an element of making sure you're getting everything that you need and ju not just a portion of it, right, George? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, that does come with experience, you know, and we don't try and engineer the customer site for them, but we do try and get as much information as we can from the customer as to what their need is, how they're going to use the equipment once they receive it. And then my experience comes in to say, okay, fine, you know, we need an automatic transfer switch or we need the engine to be in a certain amount of time and take a full load in a certain amount of time or what the cooling system may be depending on where the locations are going to be. And there's a lot of things that come into it, but years of experience goes with that. And you can say, yeah, this unit won't work for you or this is the one you really need. And so that, you know, comes hand in hand with doing it. It strikes me that it's an industry, you know, that's based, many, many industries are, but I think in this case in particular, you know, there's a lot of trust required, right? Like you, you know, not only between yourself and the client as you put together a deal, but, you know, having, you know, had the opportunity to work with you a little bit, like it, it's a small, a small, um, you know, I don't want to say club, but it's a small group of people that are in this space, right? And And so, you got to be able to build that trust and have the integrity and with the clients, with the others in the space, right? That's kind of the lay of the land, right, George? Yeah, um, I kind of laugh because the power industry is worldwide. But after you've been in it for years, everybody knows everybody. Mm. <laughs> and it's, you know, you get a phone call from overseas. Oh, yeah. You know, and I know so and so. Well, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. You know, but I mean, it's a, a very, like you said, it's almost a club. And um, there's certain people you know you can trust. If they tell you it's good, it's good. And there's certain people you know that, nah, I better go take a look. So, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is an element of trust, you know. And um, one of the things I was talking about with Lisa before is that um, one of the detriments we've had to the industry is the internet, surprisingly, because, um, Years and years ago, well, not that many years ago. I don't want to tell you how old I am, but years ago. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we have a good old boys network. You know, if, if you need a piece of equipment, you know who owns one. And if they don't have it, they know somebody else that has it. So, I mean, you know, a few phone calls and you can usually get what you need and get a decent price on it and be able to do something with it. And now with the Internet out there, um, you tell your client, unless it's somebody you've dealt with repeatedly, yeah, we can supply this for you. And then they go back and get on the internet and look all around and say, oh, well, geez, you know, we can get something just like that from Joe Schmo for, you know, $10 less. And of course, Joe Schmo doesn't have a clue what they're going to supply or where it's at or what kind of condition it's in or any of the above. And then, you know, you end up in that goat roping situation where, um, you're arguing with the client about, well, you really need to do it this way, <laughs> you know, and well, we can do it over here for this. And, you know, sometimes they go do it and then they call you back and say, hey, you know, can you help us out? <laughs> but um, but anyway, uh, yes, as far as that goes, there is a group of us that pretty much everybody knows everybody. And it's amazing. No matter how far away you go, it seems like you get that tie. Yeah, for sure. What's the what are the uh, what's the availability like of used equipment these days, George? Like, is that is that an issue today with COVID and or, or is there more equipment around because of COVID? 
Um, I don't know that there's more equipment around, um, and I don't know that there's more equipment available. I would tell you, COVID last year pretty, pretty, put a pretty much screeching halt to everything that was going on. Um, we had projects overseas that are still frozen because of COVID. They haven't released anything yet. Um, and they're still there, the projects are there, but they're just not doing anything at this point. Um, so yeah, everything stopped last year. Now it's just starting back up again. And because of that, um, there is more equipment coming on the market now than there was available last year because it runs in a cycle for good used equipment to be available, something has got to be going on. Either the sites are closing or, you know, they're getting larger, so they need bigger equipment to come in. So now this is available. Um, it's kind of a cycle. So uh, hard to say on that, Lisa, that there's more available or not. And and in terms of, you know, it, most of what you're doing is recips or gas turbines, George, is there, is one technology, you know, more predominant than the other? Well, as far as recips go, if you're dealing in the smaller equipment, you know, um, like two megawatts and under, uh, Caterpillar, of course, you know, I got yellow in my blood for, you know, 40 years. So it's, you know, and I think they're the highest quality for that kind of, that size of equipment. Um, if you get into bigger equipment for recips, um, a lot of the European and foreign equipment now is starting to come into North America. The Wartzillas and man engines and uh, mm. very high quality, very efficient. Uh, it's a little more expensive, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, you can get a lot more megawatts out of a single unit than what you get out of like Caterpillar stuff. Um, far as gas turbines go, smaller gas turbines, solar is... Again, owned by Caterpillar, but but, but uh, they are still probably the pick for smaller gas turbines, you know, five megawatts, 10 megawatts and under. Uh, they are very high quality and usually reasonably priced and very efficient. Um, bigger gas turbines, General Electric has always been the mainstay um, and probably still is. Mm. You know, you get some Pratt Whitney stuff, but they're nowhere near as efficient or reliable. Um, there are some new technology coming available. Mitsubishi has gotten more into building larger gas turbines, and uh, they are being very competitive with General Electric. Uh, Man, who usually made just big recip engines, is now manufacturing gas turbines that are. Um, going to be the future for gas turbines, I think, because they've come out with a new combustor system that actually meets the emission standards mm. without having to have anything behind the turbine. So, uh, you know, that I think over the next few years, they're really going to be big in the market. So. And are, and are, are you pulling like five recips out for every turbine or like, you, oh, you're sure. more, yeah, more recips well, than turbines? I mean, the recip, recip market, just because there's so many more of them out there, and the turbines are generally put into place for longer durations. I mean, if you're going to buy a gas turbine, you're spending a lot more money and a lot more money in the installation of it. So it's something that you're planning on using for a longer period of time mm. and possibly recips. So, yeah, there's, sure, there's a lot more recips 
in and out than there are gas turbines. Let's talk a little bit about the future, George, of, you know, your business and and just kind of how the market is evolving. You know, we at CEM have seen some huge changes as it relates to, you know, clients wanting to put in post-carbon type technologies, whether it be, uh, you know, for, not necessarily for us in our context, but we've seen a lot of solar, we've seen wind, there's energy storage, there's all of these different types of technologies to reduce GHG emissions and, you know, help promote um, clients reaching their sustainability objectives. Where where do you see that, you know, moving towards and, and is that going to affect your business, do you think? Um, no. <laughs> <How's that? laughs> uh, you know, we're flexible, so we kind to kind of lean towards uh, helping the customers with whatever their needs are. Okay. Uh, the green energy, um, it's great to talk about it. Um, it helps reduce the carbon footprint. Economically, it doesn't make much sense. Uh, because for the money you're spending for the KW, you get back out of it. Um, you know, not going to compete with fossil fuels. Um, and I don't see fossil fuels being replaced in my lifetime, uh, even though they're trying to do that. It's just not feasible. Uh, There's just too much of a demand for the electricity that they can't meet it with green energy at this point, unless they come up with something new. Um, you know, that being said, we're presently working on a contract to repurpose 13 two megawatt wind turbines out of the U.S. up in Western Canada. So, <laughs> like I said, we kind of try and be flexible with whatever's going on. But, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, everybody's pushing the green energy part of it. But uh, the technology is not there yet to be able to replace fossil fuels on any large scale. You know, they can supplement some of it with the green energy, but not going to be able to replace the fossil fuels part of it. So you're suggesting the next time I come visit you in Florida, you're not going to be on a Harley that's uh, battery powered? <laughs> no. <laughs> now, that being said, I have to laugh because uh, we went to a rally over here and the local sheriff's department came out on an electric powered motorcycle the size wow. of Wow. And said it would run 100 miles an hour and uh, looked pretty cool, but it didn't make any noise. So it's not something I'd be interested in riding. So <laughs> <laughs> love it. Well, and, you know, it's an interesting discussion around, you know, the different technologies. And, and we, we have the discussion internally all the time. Uh, my father's been doing, you know, renewable development for 25 years in wind and solar. And so we, we have that discussion all the time. And I think, you know, what what we're talking about with recips and turbines and fossil-based fuels, you know, there's such a, uh, a flexibility and a resiliency piece that that we can provide that, you know, other technologies can't yet provide in a massive way, right? Like, you know, we talk about batteries, but you know, they got their own issues with, with lithium and supply chain and, and the, the carbon footprint associated with getting that lithium out of the ground. So they're not perfect. Um, you know, so I think there's, uh, to your point, George, I think there is going to be a space, uh, there's going to be a, a place in the, in the broader energy space for, you know, these technologies. Um, I mean, you know, just, just look at, at, at Texas, right? I mean, they could have benefited from a, a bunch of extra resiliency in their in their market. So 
Um, it's going to be an interesting, you know, I think what I liked, George, was your word about flexibility. Like, you know, as, as those of us who are trying to serve mm -hmm. customers and trying to do deals and do projects, we just got to be flexible, right? Yeah, the, the market's going to tell us what they need, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You got to try and that's the whole trick to it. Make the customer happy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever works for them, you know, whether you think it's the future or not, but it's whatever works for them. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, so I, I would imagine over your uh, your career, you, you you probably you know one of the things that we talk a lot about is fuel flexibility. You've probably seen you know all kinds of different fuels, and you you know you've, everybody talks about hydrogen today. Like talk to us about the different fuels you've seen or where you see the the fuel market going. Um, yeah, that's going to have um, some impact depending on where you're at. I mean we. We've done everything from converting engines over to run on waste motor oil to dealing with, you know, mm -hmm. diesel and gas and, you know, alternative gas products. And, um, yeah, hydrogen's a big thing that everybody's talking about. Mitsubishi is uh, touting their big turbines being able to run on 100% hydrogen. And, you know, my question always comes with that. That's great. Where are you going to get the supply to run, you know, that size of a turbine consistently? on um, that fuel, you know. So um, the fuel will be driven by the customer's needs, I think, eventually. Um, there's a lot of uh, talk in the Central South American countries of trying to use propane because it becomes more available to them. They don't have natural gas locally. They'd have to ship it in. So they want to try and bring propane in, but you can't run gas turbines on 100% propane or even big recips, you know. So, you know, they're trying to develop different combustors that will run on alternative fuels, you know, where it can run a gas turbine on a higher BTU content gas. And the same thing with recips, you know, what we what do we have to do to a recip to, you know, to get it to comply with this fuel. Um, but I, you know, um, fuel availability has a whole lot to do with what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you can say I oh, can make this run on anything. If you don't have anything to put into it, it doesn't really matter. You know, so, uh, you know, natural gas is still, in my mind, going to be the fuel that's going to run everything for the next 10 or 15 years. And diesel and, you know, in different places. But, um, you know, I, the, I think the big trick to operating equipment is going to be what you can do with the emissions when it comes out of the stack. Mm -hmm. Want to start complying with with the green energy side of it and reducing your carbon footprint then you need to figure out a way to make it run cleaner mm -hmm. so. do, do you see the sizes of the projects changing george like you know for example in an ontario context we're hearing a lot about what's called der's or distributed energy resources they're you know resources that are positioned behind the meter uh they can deploy or you know provide power you know very very quickly and for a short period of time, and then, you know, in terms of what those looks look like, you know, whatever that definition fits, which could be CHP, it could be solar, it could be energy storage, they're usually smaller based projects. I mean, you're you're obviously in the U.S. market, but you're dealing with a number of different markets. Do you see the, the overall size of power generation shrinking in terms of, you know, the size of each of those projects? Or do you think there's, we're still going to have these mega turbines and mega engines that are going to be deployed? Um, you're going to have both. Uh, you're still going to have to have the big power plants that are going to feed the grid 
uh, just because one of the reasons is the the distribution within the U.S. I mean, you know, distributed energy is great if you've got a place to put it, you know, but you're still going to have to feed the grid to be able to distribute the electricity to the users. And that's going to be only done by large plants, you know. And um, yeah, distributed generation is great if you if you can make it work for where you're at. A lot of it is not so much the equipment, it's how you get the juice to the people that need it. You know, you've got, I mean, you can have it sitting there on the ground, but if you can't get it to the person that needs it, it doesn't do you much good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, one of our issues down here in the States is the infrastructure, you know, uh, for transmission. Um, it, it needs to be worked on. <laughs> you know, it, it does. And I mean, even even our, our gas supply system, um, we've gotten very complacent with what we expect is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happened in Texas. You know, I mean, they were complacent with, it's always warm down here. We never have to worry about this. So 25% of their capacity is wind turbines. None of the wind turbines they had were configured for cold weather operation. So when this unusual cold front hit them, all the turbines froze up. And then their gas supply, which they run most of the most of the state on natural gas for homes and businesses because it's available there, right? Well, you never have to worry about everybody turning on their furnaces unless mm-hmm. <laughs> they have a really bad cold snap that lasts and everybody turns on their furnaces and all of a sudden your gas pressure drops in your main and the power plants can't run because they don't have enough gas pressure. So the whole system fails. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, I think people need to be more aware of what could possibly happen, especially with the environment, the way it's changing and not be so complacent like, yeah, this will work. This will be okay. You know, Mm -hmm. we've talked a lot, George, about the actual equipment. But one of the things that I've picked up from you over the years uh, is, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, there's the, the turbine or there's the the engine. But, you know, taking it out of a certain place and moving it and putting it into another place, like there's a bit of a an art and a science to the removal and reinstallation of of equipment. Right. And that's t- talk to us a bit about that, because I think that's part of the the value that you can bring to clients is is that piece of it is not just evaluating the equipment and pricing the equipment, but it's also the removal and shipment and reinstallation. Right. You know, that's kind of one of the uh, things we can offer is a full turnkey. So, um, you know, we don't just say, okay, you need this, here it is, you know, come and get it. You know. um, and if we go do a removal, we always do the removal with the intention that it's going to be reinstalled, even if it's not for us, if it's for somebody else, or if it's going to go into storage, um, versus some people that go in and hack and chop and just take it out, you know. Uh, and you have to know, again, the scope of what it's going to be used for and how much of it is going to be reused and where it's going to go. You know, a lot of times location has a lot to do with it. And you got to be able to put it back in. You know, I mean, if you're going to you're going to do this, you need to do the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and does that, you know, in terms of reusing stuff, like is it is it silly to think that you can reuse you know, pipe or cable, or or if you do it right, you can you can salvage a bunch of that stuff too. 
Um, economically, uh, pretty much we don't reuse that stuff. No. Okay. Um, uh, cable is usually not something we would reuse, usually because it's pulled through pipe or conduit. Mm. And going to damage the insulation or the cable itself, removing it and trying to reuse it is not something we would do. As far as piping goes, unless it's a really big piece of equipment, like a very large recip, or it's got eight or 10 inch pipe that's specifically for cooling or lube, you know, lube systems or, you know, that kind of stuff we would probably reuse, but we would acid bath it and clean it before we would put it back in again. Uh, smaller stuff, no, we would toss the pipe and put new pipe in. Mm-hmm. It's the, the time you start talking about removing it, cleaning it, putting it on a truck, shipping it, trying to reuse it again. Uh, economically, it usually doesn't make sense. Hmm. Can you talk, George, about, you know, you've you've had exposure to so many different engines, so many different projects over the years. Do you have like a favorite? Can you talk about one maybe that kind of stands out to you. Maybe it was the location. I don't know. Maybe it was by a beach or something and you really enjoyed it or maybe for some <laughs> other reason. But, you know, is there a specific project that you really enjoyed working on or, uh, or you know, just maybe it was the engine drivers, maybe it was something else? Uh, you had to mention beach, didn't you? So. I did. Absolutely. Well, come on, you're from Florida, so. <laughs> well, I would tell you probably I would put two projects into that that, we, that really stand out. Um, uh, Disney has their own cruise line that goes out of Florida, right? And they have a private island down in the Caribbean um, that is their own island. They own it. And the cruise ships go in there and dock and all the people get off and go play on the beach and, you know, hang out. And they provide food and drink and, and entertainment for them while they're there. And, and because it's their own island, it's self-sufficient. So they run everything on that island. It has no outside connection to anything. So they have to take care of their own sewage, their own electricity, you know, fresh water, everything's gotta be done on the island. And um, we had a call, oh, I guess three, four years ago. Uh, They wanted to upgrade their system. So we went down there and installed two new generators for them and upgraded all their switch gear and spent about three weeks, four weeks on their private island Cool. <laughs> and every afternoon when we were all done, we'd go sit on the beach and drink rum. <laughs> so <laughs> good uh, thing I mentioned the beach; it jogged your memory. <laughs> and then uh, years ago, we were um, working on installing some gas turbines for Pacific Gas and Electric out in Ohio, and uh, they were doing some peak shaving plants so they could connect to the grid out there. It could take the capacity. And they were short one frame five general electric gas turbine that they really needed to put in. And they came to me and we looked all over North America. At that point, everybody was trying to build these plants. There was no used equipment available. And the lead time was like a year to get one from GE. So we finally, through our network of people we know that we've been dealing with for years, found one in Australia and brought it to PG&E and they liked it and they bought it from me. And then they turned around and hired us to go to Australia and do the removal and crate and ship back to the US. So we Mm. spent two months in Australia, which was very good. (laughs) That was really nice, yeah. When you buy buy a turbine from Australia, does it rotate the other way? (laughs) 
No, only the water goes the other way. So. Okay. <laughs> I, I couldn't resist asking, George. <laughs> similar in a similar vein, George. What's the strangest thing you've moved, like power gen or otherwise? Like, what's the craziest thing you've ever been asked to, to relocate? Oh, Jesus. Um, boy, there's there's. Uh, The craziest thing. That's hard to say. Um, or or we, maybe, the, maybe the biggest thing. Like what's the biggest thing you've ever had to move? Um, the biggest thing probably would be one of those big recips, either the Procter & Gamble ones. Uh, although um, years ago, we bought the old Fort McMurray municipal power plant and went in and did removal on it. And it consisted of four big Cooper Bessemer uh, engine generator sets and we had to get them removed out of the plant and shipped and those were up in the range of 100 150 tons a piece so wow or, or there was another one it's much smaller but <clears throat> downtown minneapolis um the telephone company called us they had generator sets that they wanted to get removed and they gave them to us if we could take them out they were four stories underground in the middle of downtown Minneapolis. So we had to pull a permit. We dug a hole in the street that went down four stories. No way. Put cribbing all around it and put a hole in the wall in the basement and slid the generator sets out, stood them on end and picked them up out of the street in downtown Minneapolis vertically to get wow. them out of there. And they were one and a half megawatts each. They weren't real small. So, but that was interesting. <laughs> wow. That's a great story. Yeah, I'm sure you have you have some pictures of that. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. Now we've been talking about some pretty big projects, George. But do you like how small do you go at Energy Industrial Solutions, and how big do you go typically? Um, I don't do much in the way of home installations, just because. Um, uh, well, dealing with the homeowners is not fun when you're trying to put a little bit of things, to be honest with you. But uh, as far as large goes, there's no size. I mean, I would do as big as somebody's willing to pay us to do, I would do it. There's no cap on the size we would do. So. And did you tell me once, George, you've done some biomass plants too? Um, we've worked on some. Okay. But we haven't actually, honestly, put any in the service. Okay. So let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you've worked worked on them from a maintenance perspective? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool, good, good. Mm. So, so looking back, George, we always like to get people to wax a little bit philosophically. And if you look back on your career and you could you could change something, what, what would you do over again? I would do more projects in the Caribbean. <laughs> is that because of the beach yes <laughs> uh, what would i do differently um i don't know uh, i don't know the answer to that maybe um would have done more gas turbines earlier in my mm. career than later mm. i really enjoy the gas turbine side of it um it's uh um it's very interesting to get one back into service and get it started up and running, you know, mm -hmm. and all the auxiliary stuff that goes with one of those. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would change a whole lot. Really. Would you have started your business earlier, George? Like, or do you think that that everything that you did before that kind of led you to opening your business up at just the right time? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I would have started it any earlier. I needed uh, the education of working on some of this stuff before I went into business for myself. And uh, so I don't think I would have started it earlier, no. Uh -uh. So uh, you got to have a basis for what you're going to start, you know, to do. So what's George, if, if people are listening and they're saying, you know, I'm thinking particularly of clients or customers, people who want to do power generation, um, you know, what's a, what's a word of, of caution or warning? Like what's, what's one thing that people who want to do projects with, with refurbished or, you know, surplus or gray market equipment, What's one thing they get wrong? Like, what's a word of caution that they should be watching out for? Um, be careful of who you deal with, uh, honestly. Um, one of the other drawbacks to the internet um, is that there's a huge number of people out there that think they're going to get rich mm. uh, selling one project or one piece of equipment and don't really have any experience as far as um, the condition or the customer's needs or <clears throat> repurposing that equipment so be careful of who you deal with make sure it's somebody that uh has is reputable and can actually um you know give you the right guidance to go in the direction you should go into and um you know i mean that's it really i mean if you get good used iron uh, it's every bit as good as the new stuff it really is you know and saves you a lot of money <laughs> That's, so how, that's not like a sales pitch. <laughs> no, that, that sounds like wisdom to me. How do the how do the new equipment guys relate to you? Like you're you're walking the halls of of Power Gen and you run you run into the uh, Ring Power Cat guy. You know, do you guys drop the gloves and, and get into a fight or? What, oh, how, you we know? have a drink together. They're good friends. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they're, again, you know, it's a big family for power generation. Everybody knows everybody else, you know. Yeah. So um, far as the new equipment guys go, they're going to have their basis for selling equipment no matter what. Right. Because there are projects out there that require new equipment that won't let you bring used equipment on site for whatever government projects or, you know, whatever they're financing will allow sometimes the people that are putting up money for projects mm -hmm. won't let you use anything but new equipment. And, you know, we're not going to put a dent in what they're doing. Not at all, you know. And a lot of times they welcome us because we can take the other equipment they're pulling out or they're taking it on trade and repurpose it somewhere. So, mm -hmm. so um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, we get along good for the most part. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it strikes me that, you know, any any whether it's, you know, resip or, or turbines, any, any horsepower going back into service. I mean, those guys want to, you know, depending on who does it, but they, they want the, the ongoing operations or maintenance contracts. And they so, get the service end of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you're running cat engines, they get to sell parts for it and service. Same thing goes with turbines, you know, mm. if you repurpose it, you know, solar is going to want to get in and do a maintenance on it or, or GE or whoever it is. And, so yeah, I mean it. It doesn't hurt their business. It doesn't. Are are the the types of clients that you're dealing with, George? Like, has that changed uh, in the sense that 
from a financing perspective, um, you know, there's a lot of clients these days who just don't want to use their own capital. So they're getting developers involved and maybe those developers are purchasing equipment and they're doing PPAs or those types of arrangements. Are you still like, has, has the, has your clientele evolved? Has that changed or is that the same as, as before? Um, it hasn't changed that much. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you're going to have uh, projects where you can only use new equipment and that's going to be driven by financiers or or governmental authority or whatever um, is involved with that, you know. Um, and there's always going to be a market for used equipment, always. You know, they're going to people want to save some money, and and uh, so there's always going to be that market there. So I don't know that that's changed much. Hmm. Cool. Well, George, this has been fun. It's uh, I knew I knew it would be, uh, but this, is, this, is, this has been fun, and and it's been good to. This is a topic we haven't covered on the podcast yet, and I know you know the feedback we get from people is you know they like that it's a bit more technical than than other podcasts, and so I think this this will be the right level of kind of uh, detail, and 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 yet at the same time having some fun. So uh, we really we really appreciate uh, you coming on and and chatting with us, and uh, if people want to get a hold of you, George, what's the best way for people to track you down? Uh, email is great. Energy underscore IND at MSN.com. Um, my, my cell phone is always on 321-960-7482. Call me. <laughs> wow. Love it. And I, I can attest to the fact that that is true. George always, always picks up. So yeah, always. on. So good. Good. Well, George, thanks again. Uh, it was a pleasure as always to hang out with you and I hope next time it's in person. Um, yep. If the weather gets warmer and the borders open up, uh, you can come here. And we we, we got a turbine. We got to get back into service. So we we need your help. So I'm working on that. For you. <laughs> Maybe George, the next time I see you, we'll we'll try those uh, those battery powered Harleys. All right, you can try it. I'll watch. <laughs> Good. Well, um, on behalf of uh, my co-host uh, Lisa Barber and our, our man behind the glass, Mark Charbonneau, uh, special thanks to uh, George Taylor of Energy and Industrial. And uh, until we have a chance to talk again, stay safe and have fun and uh, we'll talk again soon.